You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, and I invite you to take your scriptures. Hopefully you have a scripture with you, a Bible. If not, we have them around. Please make sure you, you have one for yourself throughout the week to be in God's Word. But I invite you to head back to Judges. Last week we were, we were actually in the New Testament in Romans. This week we head back on our journey through, through the book of Judges, and we're picking up at verse 23 in chapter 7. If you want to find that place in chapter 7, verse 23 is where we'll be. I've got a picture while you go there. Where's my, Micah? I'm using yours from last. This is two weeks ago. So Malachi drew me a picture last week out at the lake, which was above and beyond the call of duty, right, to draw, to draw it somewhere else. It's in the back. Here's Micah's from a couple uh, weeks ago now. As we looked at the battle, we finally got to that battle scene, the 300 against the some 135,000 of Gideon. And so Micah drew it. He's got the guys, I think, in the tent there's Bob talking. That's a Bob. Could have been there. Robert, whoever. So, yeah. Uh, talking about bread and, and uh, oh, he says, now I know how my sandwich feels because he chugged that dream about the bread was going to trample the tents. So, and then you can determine for yourself the battle takes place in the second slide. So, uh, there's a lot going on. You can read the details of that, but they're yelling out for the Lord and the sword, sword for the Lord and Gideon. That's the battle. We're picking up on that right after that today. Thank you, Micah. So we're going we're gonna to look kind of a little bit at the aftermath and the pursuit afterwards. It's a longer section, and, and um, there will be a couple of these as we go along, but I want to read it to you first. Again, the idea is let's read it and hear it together. Maybe you've read it already before today. I encourage you. I put that in the bulletin. Uh, you can read ahead and know where we're going to be, but... Um, Let's read it together. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 8, verse 21. I want you to listen. We're going to find some scenes in here. Listen for the opposition that Gideon is going to face along his pursuit of Midian here. But let me read God's Word, and then we'll kind of come back and look at it piece by piece. So let me start in verse 23. I know we're kind of starting midway, or basically at the end of a paragraph in some of yours. So Judges 7, verse 23, "...and the men of Israel..." were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. They captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were 
with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Ziba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail, flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jagbachah and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zamunah fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zamunah, and he threw all the army into a panic. Then Gibeon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Haris, and he captured a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Sukkoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Let us pray as we begin. Lord, we begin and we come to you. Father, we pray because this is no mere book that we are reading today. It's your book. It's written by your Spirit, all of it, inspiring men of old to write down your words. And so we believe this is your truth and your word preserved for us today. And so we need spiritual understanding. We are in a somewhat difficult passage to understand its application even to us. What does this look like in our lives? Would you just guide our time by your Spirit, depending on you, Lord, for this time to work in our hearts, to encourage us as we walk before you. May you lead, guide, strengthen us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, dads, I want to address you first of all, and everybody else can listen in. I want to encourage you with this phrase that your strength 
comes from the Lord. Your strength as a dad comes from the Lord. Your strength to raise kids if they're in the house or they are grown and gone. Your strength to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Your ability to lead in the home and to go out into the world and share the gospel. That ability, that strength comes from the Lord. There's a source for that, for our godliness. I want to propose today much of what we're going to cover in this longer chapter that I just read, and we didn't even get through all of chapter 8. It's a testimony of sorts to the strength of God in the life of Gideon. And then to be reminded in our own lives, God's own strength in our lives as fathers and listening mothers and daughters and sons and young and old and all in between. Today, there are three scenes, if, if I were to label, there's three scenes that come before us in this text. They're really scenes of opposition that Gideon faces. We're going to see three of them. It's Ephraim, and then it's Succoth and Penuel, putting them together. And then it's those kings, it's Zeba and Zalmunna, or however you pronounce all those. You can have fun with that. But each one is this different confrontation between Gideon and these others, this opposition And yet I want you to watch for, just as we look through this, just the subtle, present hand of God in Gideon's life. So we look at the first scene with Ephraim here. And we find out, as we started reading in verse 23 and then 24, Midian's on the run. And it seems like they're they're fleeing in varying directions. I have a couple maps just to show you a little bit of this. If we can get them up there. Uh, is there one up there? Yeah, there it is. Now, this is from a couple weeks ago. This was kind of the battlefield, um, the Hill of Mora up there. You probably can't see it all that well, but kind of this was the battle scene and the, the, the spring of Herod down here and the, the red circle down that way. And then, Caleb, just go to the next one here. I don't know if you... How's it working today? Let's see if our laser is on. Oh, it still works. Okay, so Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah. Uh, up here was where that battle was. And if you can see the line, if you have an ESV study Bible, they give you lines. Here's where they think the direction of the battle went. So Jordan River, cutting through here, Sea of Galilee, and what's just not covered here is the Dead Sea. So we're going all the way from here, all the way down and out, even Karkor, perhaps out this way. So they're fleeing. I think some are fleeing south along this way, along the, the, the western side of the Jordan. And then others cross and head out this way. It's just like, let, let's flee. And I don't, we don't know that, did they all flee, all of them in one direction as one group, or kind of scatter and maybe some of us will escape that idea. It gives you an idea, idea of, the, of the direction. And so Gideon calls out his men in verse 23, Naphtali, Asher, Manasseh. Just a quick note, how interesting this is. Could it be these men that he called out? Do you remember how many left him at the, the remember the the, uh, was it 22,000, right? 22,000 left the army because they were afraid. Remember, God said, Divide up, you know, you've got a big army. Uh, you've got too many for this because it's going to look like your hand saved you instead of mine. So 22,000 are afraid and they head home. I, I wonder if it's these. And then those others who knelt down to drink, whatever that meant, we looked at that, 9,700 of those also went home leaving 300. Could it be that those that all went home in God's providence were afraid at the beginning and knelt to drink, not knowing anything of it, 
and they went home, and now they're fresh, and they're ready to pursue. Now, Gideon in his solo pursuit is going to still have the 300. We'll see that. But I just find it interesting providential that in the downsizing of the army, God is working behind the scenes even to have fresh feet for a pursuit after the battle. Well, Ephraim uh, responds here. In, in, in verse 24 and 25, we have Ephraim uh, joining the pursuit and they're capturing the waters against Midian. And we're not, we looked at the map here. That's about all we'll look at it. We're not getting into all the towns area. You can look it up. There's, there's many listed. But by verse 25, they've captured this, these, these princes, Oreb and Zeb. And so they come to Gideon, who's across the Jordan. So I take this to be, uh, you know, they're on the west side. They come to him on the east side. And you can work out the timing and, and all that. It can get a, a bit confusing. But they come to him on this, on this east side of the Jordan. And here chapter 8 begins, and we find this scene of opposition. Let me just read it for you again, verse 1 of chapter 8. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, here's their question, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? You can hear the opposition. You can hear what's going on. And Gideon, up to this point, Gideon had a conflict. It was with Midian. Now he's got another one. It's with Ephraim, and they're in conflict with him. He faces this. So, so what's the problem here? Why is Ephraim kind of up in, up in arms about this? I, I think the problem for Ephraim was one of jealousy. This tribe of Gideon, you know, had kind of, they had won this battle. Ephraim, and this is what I get from other writers, Ephraim, there's this tribal conflict for leadership. So Ephraim's kind of like, we ought to be the leaders. But here's Gideon, remember, weak and least of these. Manas- that, he's the guy... He's, that's the, the army that is winning this battle. And so I think there's some jealousy going on. You know, so Gideon's fought this. I mean, for Ephraim, like, how dare you go without us? Look at Gideon's response in verses 2 and 3. He said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezar? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? And interestingly, it says, then their anger against him subsided when he said this. It's here that we find ourselves at the first, also of three episodes of asking, was Gideon's response a godly response? That was really my main wrestling as you come to this text and you wrestle with the other things that we've seen that are, that are greater and the, the killing and all those sorts of things. And we're asking ourselves, okay, so how do we discern? Is Gideon, you know, you know, as you look at this, in one instance you can say, well, maybe he's just flattering them. He's just trying to build them up and fakely and this, this kind of thing. Is he doing the right thing? I'm persuaded because I need to land somewhere. I'm persuaded he was doing the right thing in this chapter. Persuaded, rather than this being a, because I, I, I began kind of looking at this is Gideon's deterioration. This is his falling away. Some look at it that way. So if you have that opinion or you look at commentators and you go, well, it's, even my own study Bible is kind of going that way. I, I think there's a couple ways you can look at that. But this, my persuasion is this is Gideon. It's a chapter of watching God's strength work out in his life. And so we'll see that. It work out in the one of who was weak and afraid. So 
You might come away with a different opinion. I understand that. I've, I've gone back. I think it's it. And then, and then. But th- my persuasion is this. So we land here. And so I think here, if you look at this, Gideon diffuses a situation. Rather than get into a fighting match right now, how do, you know, look at, I just fought with 300 men. How, what in the, why are you complaining with me? Gideon responds to them with humility and gentleness. I mean, compared to what God's given Oreb and Zeb to you. In the text again, their anger subsided. His response cooled the embers and fire of jealousy. In fact, as one commentary pointed out, I think more than one actually, Gideon lived out Proverbs 15.1 where it says a soft, remember NIV says gentle, answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's this gentle answer from Gideon. This proverb is poignant and important for us because our answer is so often lacking in gentleness. We struggle with this. I mean, again, Gideon could have said, you guys are so wrong. I just put to flight an army of 135,000. Did you see him run by here? Did you see what I did? Instead, there's this gentle response of Gideon. And there's one clue, I think, at the beginning of verse 3. These come, and they're, maybe they're small, maybe not. It's just a clue to me. Verse 3, Gideon says, God has given into your hands the princes of Midian. You kind of look in a chapter where the Lord is not mentioned a lot. You look for some of those important clues here. At one of them, perhaps, God has given the hands of the princes of Midian, given them into your hands. We see that here. Gideon here has seen the Lord face to face. And Gideon has God's perspective, not his, going on. I think that's one key to the gentle answer, is trusting in the providence of God. He sees, Gideon sees not only his battle, but Midian's battle as something that God is doing. And so for Gideon and for us, we don't have to be the center, nor are we the center of all of what God is doing in his work. And Gideon was strengthened to have God's perspective on this, I would propose. And may we too offer that gentle answer in the face of opposition, trusting in a sovereign God who's working not just through my battles and my victories, but all around us. Well, whatever gentleness we see in that section kind of turns a corner in the next scene or scenes as this narrative unfolds for us and that of this people of Succoth and Penuel. So that's kind of this next section four and there's kind of just this back and forth of the the kings of Midian and then these these towns and cities. We see it in verses four through nine Gideon deals with them and then 13 through 17 Gideon's amongst these two cities of Succoth, Penuel. Somewhere, like I showed you on the map, somewhere maybe between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea in that area. And we find them. Look at Judges 8, uh, 4, verse 4. Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. Again, somehow we're back to 300. So I don't know if the rest went, went elsewhere. or stay. Perhaps, I think I read, some, perhaps they stayed on the western side to protect. You know, stay home. Let's not everybody go. Let's stay home, protect what we have. That's where they sent the 300 were in pursuit and heading out. And so that could be what happened. But these men are exhausted. They are spent. They've been pursuing 
and walking and running and after this army, and here they are. And so they come to Succoth and the plea, can we have some bread? But we find there the response of this city. Rather than this response here, of a city that says, oh sure, here's what they respond with. Verse uh, 6, And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? In essence, we don't see any success yet. No bread for you. Right? We, we see it. We don't see anything in your hands. Why should we help you? Verses, verse 15 describes it as this taunting of Gideon. And there's a condition here. Show us your success. Maybe we'll help you out. This condition on them. As I read different commentators as well, essentially Succoth, and then we'll see Penuel act in the exact same way. They're really acting towards Gideon the same as Midian, which is really defying the army of the Lord here. They're just as well enemies like Midian is at this point for their lack of being for Gideon. They're against him. Show us the heads. Then we'll help you out. That idea. And so Gideon responds in verse 7. And look again. Just pay attention as they're, just, they're minimally mentioned. But look at verse 7 in his response. Gideon says this. So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Gideon's faith, I think here, responds with when the Lord has given. Gideon was still trusting the Lord will go before me. Even as I'm walking these miles beyond, he trusted God for the victory. And the threat, for them at least, I'm going to return. You're going to be disciplined. And then the text goes on to say he went to Penuel, And he got the same response. The text is going to eventually bring Gideon back to these these two places. We'll pick up on that. But for now, he continues on that pursuit of Midian. Down or south or maybe up. And uh, verse 10, if you've been wondering, how do we count? Where do we get the count for how many were there? This is the the mathematical verse. There's 15,000 left of the army in Karkor. Of the uh, 120,000 had, had, had died on the battlefront, so you add them, probably 135,000. We've still got ma- uh, the little theology, if you weren't here and didn't get one of those, to visually see what it looks like, a 300 against 135,000. It's a helpful little look at that. It's in, it's in the, the entrance there. But we see this uh, number here. And so from there, Gideon ends up traveling. And he goes up by the way of tent dwellers. Now, as I look at this on the map, it seems like Succoth is down in the Jordan Valley, so sea level. And then Penuel, I think, goes back. And it's, it's kind of like when you cross the, the, the Mississippi here. You've got the, blood, you know, the, the high country and goes down towards the river. Same thing, just I think it's 3,000 foot of elevation. So, so Gideon and his 300 men kind of come out of this Jordan Valley somehow on this way and head down towards the Midianite camp and, and find them. And there they felt secure. And maybe they felt secure there because who's going to track us this far? Um, one commentary says this route would be about uh, 20 miles from Penuel, when they, I think when they come against Midian, and about 70 from the initial encounter at Mora. 70 miles they have traversed. It doesn't say they've got bread yet. They're still exhausted. They're still pursuing 
Gideon's a long way from home. But as Midian feels secure, Gideon attacks in what must have been for us to fill in the blank the strength of the Lord to do this. How exhausted to even just to climb out of that valley and to go with food and water. The exhaustion. God's strength was with Gideon. And he comes and attacks them. And the two kings are captured. The army sent into a panic. The battle's done, basically, but Gideon has some cleanup work to do. And he heads back in verses 13 through 17. And he returns to Succoth and Penuel, those ones that had not helped him out. And he shows them the kings. Look what, look what I have captured. The Lord had given them into the hands of Gideon. And so he takes the thorns and the briars and he teaches specific men of Succoth. Not, I don't think the whole town. He, he grabs that young man as we read. Gets a list. Who are the leading men? Okay, here they are. And that's who he brings these to. And he teaches them a lesson. And then he heads to Penuel. And there they have a tower. And maybe there might be some spiritual significance to the tower. I didn't get into all that. But there he kills the men. And I think again, not all the men, but the, the leading men of the city. And once again, we're asking, okay, is, are these the actions of just someone on a personal vengeance Is he just running through, kind of like forgetting the Lord? Some could see that. And and maybe even here we would ask, why not the gentle answer that he gave to Ephraim? Shouldn't he give them a gentle? Well, I know you guys didn't see it, but look, they're here now. Kind of this gentle idea. Here's my take on that. Ephraim, they opposed Gideon's call. They didn't like that he didn't call them, but they fought alongside him. They were together in the battle. Not so with Succoth and Penuel. They opposed him. And really, as we mentioned, they sided with this army of Midian rather than with the army of the Lord. So I believe Gideon here acting, again, Spirit of God is upon him. On the Lord's business, I think he's justified here. He was opposing the enemies of God. And so also, we ought to oppose the enemies of God. Those in our Sunday school classes, we went through this, right? Not our personal enemies, not our personal vengeance, but those that would oppose the work of the Lord. Our rebuke is not a literal sword. It was in Gideon's day, but it's nonetheless strong. Praying that the enemies of God would not prevail. But they would repent. Praying they would repent. And if not, Lord, let let their actions be thwarted. In our speech... Speaking boldly, as Gideon does here. This is not right what you're doing. Paul tells Titus, this is New Testament. If we think, well, this is Old Testament. He tells Titus to find men to lead the church who can rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. There's rebuking going on. That's in the New Testament, not, not just the Old. Elsewhere, he says, those who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. I think this is Titus chapter uh, 1. You'll find this in. These deceivers, he says, Paul says to Titus, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. There's this boldness to rebuke this insubordination, empty talkers, deceivers. It's part of what is part of a church. We don't often talk about it, of church discipline. There's 
There's church life, and we want to be gracious and welcoming. And there's also, do you hold to this? Do you hold to these tenets of the faith? And we see you not holding to this. And there, there is discipline for the good of the church and for the good of the one being disciplined. Loving discipline is purposeful. Rebuke has a purpose. I like to think Gideon's rebuke here, his purpose, he, our text says, you see it in there? Um, where is it that he taught? Yeah, verse 16, took the elders, took the thorns of the wilderness, briars with them, taught the men of Succoth a lesson. What comes to mind when you think of this? I think he gave them a big spanking. That's what they got. And if spanking, if it's done well and right, is for the love and good of that child. And here, I think, I like to think, Succoth and Penuel were reformed that day and said, we better, we better change up. We're not told that. We don't know, but hopefully. May the Lord grant us wisdom. Gentle answer. Bold answer. Lord, give us wisdom. When is it gentle? When is it bold? May we discern that. Well, this kind of comes all into a final scene in verses basically 18 through 21. We won't get into to much of the conversation, but to summarize, these kings had killed Gideon's brothers. And I think they had killed them before this battle, this ever took place. Remember, they had been, they had been uh, coming into the land for seven years. So somewhere in that time period, Gideon's brothers had been killed by the Midianites. And so Gideon would avenge their death. But instead of Gideon doing it, we read in the text, he asks his son, he desires that his son, this Jether, would rise and kill them. One commentator says it was for the purpose of adding the disgrace of falling by the hand of a boy. You know, let a boy kind of chop off their heads. It's disgraceful. A warrior does it, not so bad. Maybe that's honorable, but not a boy. And yet, what do you see the boy? Um, Look at verse 20. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. I think just things are coming together in these passages here. Does that remind you of anybody? Reminds you of dad, of his father, just the same way, just the fearful one as well. And so he's scared. But a challenge comes then by these kings. Well, in verse 21, so Zeba and Zelman, will you rise? You, it's, it's emphasis here. You, you do it. You kill us. You do it. As a, and they say this phrase, as a man is so his strength. What are they getting at here? Now, one, one writer says this. He says, it was no shame to die by the hand of a warrior like Gideon, but a youth unskilled in warfare, <laughs> I love the language, would hack and bungle the execution. And even these brave men flinched at such a prospect. Do you hear what he's saying? They're like, we're not sure he's going to get us in the first. This is going to be a pain, painful execution going on. It's going to be swifter if Gideon just takes care of this. But then verse 21, there's this phrase, and it caught my attention in the study of this. Not as much as said in the commentaries, but this phrase by Zeba and Zalima that says, as the man is, so is his strength. I find the placement interesting. 
And I'd propose that what we find in this last, if you have a paragraph in the ESV, this last paragraph, it's, it's really the account of Gideon in a miniature form. Gideon had been like his son, Jether. He had been weak and afraid and a young man. But as we've seen, we saw chapter 8 here, Gideon has answered Ephraim with tact, gentleness. Gideon has pursued the enemy, exhausted, tired. This is weak. This is Gideon who said he was weak. He's pursued them, though he was exhausted. He's boldly dealt with the opposition of Succoth and Penuel. And he's going to deal with Zeba and Zalmunna as well. What God had promised in chapter 6, verses 14 and 16, we find fulfilled. If you want to look back there, just, it's just fascinating to look at your text. Look back at chapter 6, verse 14. This was before anything took, this was the calling of Gideon. And we find in chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord turned him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So verse 21, so we're back in chapter 8. Gideon does rise. He arose and he killed Zeba and Zelmunna. To the reader, which is us, but to the reader of the day, I think in to us, the kings of Midian got the wrong, I'm going to propose they got the wrong answer. Now, we could debate here whether Gideon's answer, did, was he silent? Maybe he should have said, hey, you're wrong, it was God's strength. I, I, I don't know what all that was that, but they got the wrong. The answer, as we have seen throughout Gideon's life, is as the man's God is, so is his strength. Gideon was weak and he's flawed, but his God was strong throughout and had strengthened him all of what we looked at through chapter 8 here. So rather than chapter 8 being the, the downward fall and slide of Gideon, and we'll talk about the crescent ornaments next week, you know, but probably not a good idea to take those Gideon. So we'll look at that as we go. But I think rather than the downward slide, I'm going to propose this chapter. It's a testimony, not to Gideon, although he's present, but we see the Lord to the Lord's work in Gideon's life here, the man Gideon. Gideon had been as his son Jether, but God's grace and strength were in his life and moving through him. So a couple questions as we bring this to a close. What gave Gideon the ability to give a gentle answer to Ephraim? God's strength. What gave Gideon the ability then to rightly deal with Succoth and Penuel? Again, God's strength. And what gave Gideon the ability to pursue Zeba and Zalmunna 70 miles from the battle, exhausted, and eventually kill them? God's strength. Listen to a couple passages, and this is just, I believe this would be the tip of an iceberg of God's strength. Exodus 15.2, Moses and the people sing a song. You want to hear the lyrics? The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. First Chronicles 16.11, David writes, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. 
Psalm 18, David says concerning the, the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Or Psalm 28.8, the Lord is the strength of his people. Gideon's strength and ability had a source that Zeba and Zalmunna knew nothing about. It, it's not as a man is, so is his strength. A man's strength is not ultimately in his muscles or his possessions or his mind or his own ability. His strength is in the Lord. And may God's strength empower you and me as fathers to do what God has called you to do by faith in Him. That's where our strength lies. May you, it's not unfamiliar to some of you men, Ephesians 6.10, 6, may you be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You. And I think about as we pray, our goal is not that mug that says number one dad. Our goal is to point to a number one God, to, to you. And you use our weakness and our failings and our blundering to point us to you and that we would point our children to you. Lord, may you help the fathers in this room, whether their kids are at home or their kids are grown and away. May it be that our lives reflect our praise of a God who has strengthened us, who has been faithful, who has cared for us. You've reconciled us in Your Son, Jesus. When we were weak in sin and dead in sin, You reconciled us that we might know Christ and have union with Christ. And we are strong because we are in Him. That we have a relationship with You. Lord, if any father here doesn't have that, I pray that today that would be the best Father's Day gift that could be given to know you, Jesus. And to know our God and Father who loves us greatly. Strengthen all as we look at these passages and we come to other difficult passages, Lord. Give us wisdom. Strengthen us for the week ahead. For today. Sufficient today. Your, your mercy is sufficient. Your strength is sufficient in the midst of troubles that are today. We praise you for the strength you provide. And so help us give glory in response. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.